I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by The Strenuous Life. The Strenuous Life is an online platform that we created to help you put into action all the things we've been writing about on The Art of Manliness, talking about on the podcast for the past 10 years. And we've done that by creating 50 different badges based around 50 different skills. There's things like wilderness survival, first aid, land navigation, just sort of outdoor skills. We also have things like you know social skills, how to be a better family man, personal finance, and some soft skills as well. In addition to that, we have weekly challenges that we send out to you once a week for 52 weeks. And we also put you in a group of other men to hold you accountable. There's physical fitness requirements, good deed requirements. The whole goal of this to help you take action on all those things you've been wanting or intending to do for maybe years now. We just wrapped up an enrollment for January. We've got another one coming up at the end of March. So if you want to be one of the first to know when that gets going, make sure to head over to strenuouslife.co and get your name on the email waiting list. And just to be forewarned, whenever we send this email out, things fill up fast. So you want to get on that list so you can be one of the first to know. Again, head over to strenuouslife.co, get your name on the waiting list, and I hope to see you at the end of March in our next enrollment. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Now, I'd say in about the past 20 years, extreme sports have become mainstream. So I'm talking skydiving, skateboarding, big wave surfing, base jumping, you got, you name it. Um, and while we often think of these guys who take part in these sports as ex- adrenaline junkies, um, our guest today, Stephen Kotler, um, makes the case in his new book, The Rise of Superman, that instead of adrenaline junkies, these extreme athletes are actually flow junkies. Now, a lot of you probably heard of this concept of flow. It's basically a psychological state that we get into whenever we perform at our best and feel at our best. It's like whenever you're in the zone, that is flow. And in The Rise of Superman, Stephen makes the case that these extreme athletes tap into flow to do amazing things, basically push the envelope on human performance, um, you know, surfing waves that, you know, just huge waves that should, that were never would have been thought of to be surfed, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. Um, solo climbing rock faces that without ropes, uh, that shouldn't be climbed, um, doing skateboard jumps. They're just insane. Um, so and it's all thanks to flow. That's what he makes the case in the book. And what's more, he shows that these extreme athletes, um, can teach us a lot about how to hack or optimize our own flow so we can improve our performance, whether at work or just improve our well-being in life. Um, because flow, as research shows, is uh, one of the keys to just sort of happiness, general well-being and flourishing. Um, so it's an interesting, fascinating read, read uh, well-researched. Um, and so into the podcast, we're going to talk about flow. We're going to talk about uh, these extreme athletes doing amazing things. And then we're going to talk about 
um, what you can do uh, to optimize and hack your flow. So stay tuned. Steve Kotler, welcome to the Art of Manliness podcast. Brett, thanks for having me. All right, so your book is The Rise of Superman, Decoding the Science of Ultimate Human Performance. And it's in a nutshell, it's about this elusive, mysterious, not so mysterious con- psychological concept of flow. Um, and for our listeners who aren't familiar with this concept, can you briefly explain what flow is? Certainly. Um, first of all, let me just put it in some historical context because the word flow is a, is a little flimsy, but what we're talking about here is literally the product of, you know, 150 years of really serious research. One of the most kind of well-researched neuropsychological phenomenons you can think of is what we're talking about with flow. Flow is technically defined as an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. And most people have some kind of passing familiarity with flow, right? If you've ever lost an afternoon to a great conversation or gotten so sucked into a work project that everything else is forgotten, you've probably tasted the experience. In flow, what happens is our concentration gets so focused, so laser focused, that everything else just falls away. Action and awareness start to merge. Our sense of self, our sense of self-consciousness vanish completely. Time dilates, which means it can slow down so you get that freeze frame effect like you've been in a car crash, or it can speed up so five hours can pass by in like five minutes. And throughout, all aspects of performance, mental and physical, go through the roof. The reason we call the state flow is because that's the sensation conferred. In flow, every action, every decision leads effortlessly, fluidly, perfectly to the next. So one way I like to think about flow in shorthand is it's near-perfect decision-making. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a perfect way of describing it. And I think, yeah, I think all of us have experienced at one time or another uh, that, yeah, I know I have where, yeah, you're so engrossed in something, you look up and you're like, oh my gosh, like four hours have passed away, but it's only seemed like an hour. Um. So fantastic. Um, so how did you get involved in researching and writing about flow? Um, is this something you've always been interested in? I mean, what, because you not only have this book, but you also have the, the, the flow genome project where you're researching and educating about flow. So how did you get involved with this? So and, and in all actuality, I write about flow in West of Jesus. I write about flow in uh, a small furry prayer. It's, um, it's been a life. It's, it's kind of been a project, but uh, the story, this, what, what happened was, um, and Rise of Superman is two different kind of tracks coming together, but the, the flow work started when I was 30 years old. I got Lyme disease, and I spent the better portion of three years in bed. And for anybody who doesn't know what Lyme disease is, it's kind of the worst flu you've ever had crossed with paranoid schizophrenia. <laughs> I was totally debilitated, couldn't walk across a room, had almost no cognitive function, no short-term memory, no long-term memory. I couldn't read anymore because I couldn't remember what had happened at the beginning of a sentence by the time I got to the end of it. And after three years of this, the doctors had pulled me off drugs. This was very early in Lyme disease history. So uh, they didn't really know what they were doing yet. And uh, my stomach lighting started bleeding out, and that was it. I was done. There was nothing else anybody could do for me. And I was going to kill myself because I was functional 10% of the time, and that was it. All I was ever going to do was be a burden to my friends and my family from that point on. And it was really a question of when and not no longer if. And right kind of around the time I had reached that conclusion, a friend of mine shows up at my house. I was living in L.A. at the time, and she demands that we go surfing. 
And it was it was a joke. I mean, it was the funniest thing in the world. I, you know, I didn't surf in years. I couldn't walk across the room. But she was a pain in the ass and would not leave and would not leave and would not leave. And finally, I was like, you know what? What the hell? We can go surfing today because what's the worst that can happen? And they literally had to kind of help me to the car. They took me to Sunset Beach, which if you know anything about surfing, it's the wimpiest beginner wave in the world. It was summer. The tide was out. So the waves were smaller and the tide was low. And they helped me out to the break. And they gave me a board the size of a Cadillac. Literally, and the bigger the board, the easier it is to catch a wave. The waves were maybe two feet. And 30 seconds later, a wave comes. And I don't know what happened. Muscle memory took over. I'm still not sure. But I spun the board around, and I paddled a couple times, and I popped up. And I popped up into another dimension. Suddenly, time had slowed down, and I had panoramic vision, and my senses were incredibly heightened. And the craziest part was I felt great. I mean, I felt fantastic, better than I've ever felt in my life, as far as I could tell. And... You know, I'm having this kind of quasi-mystical experience in the waves, and it feels so good and so powerful that I catch five more waves, four more waves that day. And five waves just totally, it disassembled me. That was that was the end of me. They drove me home. They put me in bed. And I couldn't move for two weeks. People had to bring me food because I couldn't actually make it to the kitchen just to make meals. And uh, a couple weeks in, a couple weeks later, the day I could walk again, literally, I went back to the beach and I did it again. And over the course of about six months, I went from about, 10% functionality up to about 80% functionality. And the only thing that was happening was I was going surfing and I was having these very quasi weird mystical experiences in the waves. So my first question was, the hell is going on? I mean, it was, I'm trained as a science writer and A, I don't have mystical experiences, period. And B, surfing in these weird states as a cure for a chronic autoimmune condition, none of it made any sense. So originally, it was a quest to figure out what the hell is going on with me. And it was emphasized by the fact that Lyme is only fatal if it gets into your brain. And because I was having these quasi-mystical experiences, and that's so out of character for me, um, I thought I was losing my mind. I thought I was feeling better, perhaps, but it was just the disease going into remission while it worked its way into my brain, and I was about to die. So it was, in the beginning, a fairly crucial mission, right? What the hell is going on? And you know, the, quickly, just because we won't come back to it later so people know, a couple of funny things about flow states is it, it, there's a profound cocktail of neurochemicals that produce this state. All of these neurochemicals boost the immune system, which is important, but really important is they also reset the nervous system. Flow, what, when you snap into flow, all of the kind of stress hormones, cortisol, norepinephrine, all that stuff leaves the body. And all these positive beneficial nerve chemicals come in that are very calming. So it resets the nervous system. And an autoimmune condition is essentially a nervous system gone crazy. So that was what I discovered. It also kind of led directly into research on high performance because, you know, once I started getting better in with flow states, I started to realize these states weren't, you know, just making me feel better. They were massively amplifying performance. And I wanted to know why. So it was a series of questions based on, you know, that experience. But that's where this comes from. For me. Interesting. That, that was interesting. You talked about how it resets your nervous system. It sounds a lot like some hallucinogenic and psychedelic drugs. Um, where like, so it's you, not, you've got to understand that all the, like, for example, if you want to talk about LSD or mushrooms or whatever, that's all serotonin. Mm. All, you know, you, you snort cocaine, all that happens is the brain releases a bunch of dopamine and blocks its reuptake. You do LSD or ecstasy, by the way, 
and different pathways, but that's just a serotonin release. So all the neurochemicals, every neurochemical has a drug analog. That's why drugs work, basically, right? They, this is the body has a natural version of the chemical. Endorphins are the body's natural version of heroin. So flow, interestingly, cocktails a huge amount of these same chemicals that produce psychedelic experiences. So there, there is a lot, there's a lot there. And for certain, you know, psychedelic research and a lot of, a lot of the stuff that's come out of psychedelic research has really helped us understand the neurochemistry of flow. Because for a long time, those were the only people working on these neurochemicals. Hmm. All right. So your experience with surfing, um, I think led to you, led you to where you sort of the backdrop of your book and studying flow. Cause you focus on what surprised me as kind of a weird subset of athletics is sort of the extreme athletes. We're talking like surfing, like big wave surfers. We're talking skydivers, yeah, so base jumpers. Me, there's another story that, that folds in here. And, it, it, and, and, and there's a reason I focused on extreme athletes. All right. I guess the, the best place to start would be just like tell me what the premise of Rise of Superman is, right? Sure, yeah, do it. So the core idea at the heart of Rise of Superman, and this is sort of where all this came from and why, why did I choose this population, is if you look at action adventure sports, all the surfing, skiing, snowboarding, skateboarding, skydiving, etc., as a data set, right? You snip out, strip out the glamour and the gnar, what you see over the past generation is nearly exponential growth in ultimate human performance. And that's performance when life or limb is on the line, which should be the slowest growing category. Now, sports performance, it's slow, it's steady, it's governed by the laws of evolution. You plot it on a graph, you get a linear curve. At no point in history do you see performance quintuple in a decade. But that is exactly what's been going on in action adventure sports. For example, surfing. Here's a thousand-year-old sport, and from 400 AD to 1996, the biggest wave anybody's ever surfed is 25 feet. Today, it's over 100 feet. Snowboarding, 1990, the biggest gap anybody ever jumped is the Baker Road gap. It was 40 feet end-to-end. -end. These days, it's over 230 feet long. That's not normal at all. That's incredibly radical. So the question of the heart of rise of Superman is what the hell is going on? And the answer is that these athletes have become the very best flow hackers in the history of the world. They have figured out how to produce this state absolutely reliably, and they have to because of the level they're performing. If they're not in flow, they're going to end up dead or in the hospital. So the premise of the heart of rise of Superman is we can look at these extreme athletes and use them as case studies, and if we can kind of decode what these guys are doing to produce so much flow in their lives, then we can apply that information across all domains in society. Hmm. So that's the core idea, and that's why I chose to focus on the action sport athletes. And, you know, I saw all this firsthand just because that's I, I came up as a journalist covering a lot of action sports, so I spent years of my career chasing pro athletes around mountains and, you know, breaking almost 100 bones along the way. But I kept seeing absolutely amazing things where you'd be like, oh, my God, that's impossible. They're defying the laws of physics. I've never seen anything like that this has got to be the end of it. There's no way, you know, this is the limit. We've hit the limit. There's no way it can progress more. And we would talk about this, the journalists who covered this stuff, we kept talking about how there's no way this can keep going. And every year it just kept going and going and going until finally, you know, I decided that I had to look under the hood and, you know, sure enough, found flow again. So um, I guess it makes sense that these guys would need flow or would be, I guess, practitioners of flow because like, yeah, 
uh, time dilation uh, would come in handy when you're trying to figure out, you know, these, you know, what's the next step? Because if you, one false move could, could kill you. Right. Absolutely. And we've got there, you know, I, Dean Potter, I'll tell you a story from Rise. Dean Potter, one of the world's greatest climbers and, and, and base jumpers, was in Mexico, and he was base jumping into the cellar of Swallows, which is this giant, I think it's 1,500 feet, open-air pit. And on his last base jump, something went wrong, and his chute partially opened. Then it collapsed over his head. So he was 300 feet, uh, 500 feet off the deck, goes to open his parachute. It partially opened. It spins him into a wall. The chute drops over his head. Right before it drops, time has slowed down so much, he has time to see an orange rope that they had hung from the side of the wall 300 feet off the deck where a photographer was taking photos, and he grabbed the rope and managed to hang on and stop himself. He stuffed himself six feet above the ground. But the only reason it took place was because time was so slowed down. The whole story is a lot longer, and there's many parts I'm leaving out. But without that time dilation, you're absolutely correct. None of it is possible. Yeah, I mean that's that was one of the stories that really stuck out to me. Uh, I mean, there's yeah, there's so many examples. Uh, the ones that really com- yeah, were compelling to me is like the solo climbing, people climbing these mountains that shouldn't be climbed at all, but they're doing it by themselves, no ropes at all. Um, and like, here's the question: like, wait, What compels these guys or people to do these things? I mean, is it they, is it because they, they want that feeling of flow, or is it just wanting to do it because it you know because it's there? I mean, wh- what is it that's driving these guys? Well, first of all, there's, I mean, there's two answers here. Part of it is, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's just normal human stuff that goes into, you know, into that level of drive, right? Mm-hmm. That said, the experience of flow is so powerful. The neurochemicals are just neurochemically, and more things go on in the brain during flow that are also incredibly enticing, but just neurochemically. These are the five most potent feel-good reward chemicals the brain can produce. And there's no other time when the brain produces all five at once, especially in these high concentrations, which is why psychologists talk about flow as the source code of intrinsic motivation. Once an experience starts producing flow, it essentially becomes the most addictive experience on earth. And, you know, we've all, for example, seen this in action in action sports. Surfers are guys who are not known as the most reliable group of people in the history of the world. (laughs) Yet it's got, if it's overhead glassy tubes, they're up at four o'clock in the morning at the beach in clammy cold wetsuits out there, you know, like clockwork, no matter what. You are drawn to it. Once something produces flow, they call it autotelic, which means an end in itself. It means people seek out the state often at great, great, great personal cost. What is amazing about flow, and, and Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, who did a lot of foundational research into flow, he talks about this. Unlike other addictions that lead backwards, flow, because it always involves challenge and skills and mastering of new skills and taking things to a new level, it leads forward. So it's literally an addiction to a better version of yourself. The other thing that is worth kind of talking about here is the more neurochemicals that show up during experience, the better chance that experience is retained for later. So flow massively amplifies learning, right? In studies run by DARPA, it's 230 to 500% um, in military snipers. Wow. 
Um, and that's just one example. There's a lot of other data from a lot of other kind of learning situations. Always flow shows up and massively optimizes learning. So not only are you kind of addicted to this better version of yourself and super motivated to get more flow, you're also learning at a massively amplified rate, you know, along the way. So when we talk about flow being an addiction that leads forward, it's it's a it's kind of a significant statement. Here's a question. Is is there a genetic component to flow? Because what I mean by is like I don't have like I have no desire to like base jump or I have no desire to take part in these action sports, but it seems like there's certain people who are just drawn to that naturally. They love that. I'm not like that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious with your research, have you found that there's some people who can experience flow or tap into it more, more easily than others? Let's, 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 let's look under the hood a little bit because you kind of lit on a really important and kind of common misconception about flow. So flow is, you know, we're talking about it with these extreme athletes, right? But mm-hmm. flow, when Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi did his original research, he conducted what is now one of the largest global studies ever. Flow is ubiquitous. It shows up everywhere, every person on earth. In his original research, he found it everywhere from like Detroit assembly line workers to Navajo sheep herders to elderly Korean women, Japanese teenage motorcycle gang members, neurosurgeons from New York. It goes on and on and on. So flow shows up everywhere. There. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer a free plant consultation forever. So I use Fast Growing Trees to order not an indoor tree, but an outdoor tree. There's an oak tree that was in our front yard that died a few years ago due to heat stress. Had to cut it down. There's been a blank spot that I wanted to put another tree there. I wanted a maple tree that turned bright red during the fall. And I went on Fast Growing Trees, found the tree that fit the criteria that I was looking for turns bright red. It's a maple tree that turns bright red in the fall. So if you want to try fast growing trees right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants and listeners to our show, get an additional 15% off their first purchase when they use code manliness at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using code manliness at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com code manliness offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. 
It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Our, we have now identified 15 triggers that bring on the state. These are preconditions that lead to more flow. Risk is one of those triggers. But here's the really important point. It's not just physical risk. You do need risk because risk triggers the release of dopamine, and you need dopamine to slide yourself into flow. But you can replace the physical risk with emotional risk, creative risk, intellectual risk, and it's totally different for everybody. For, you know, Ian Walsh, big wave surfer, he's got to paddle into a 50-foot wave for it to catch his attention. But for the shy guy, all they got to do is cross the room to talk to the pretty girl, and that's enough. So it's totally situational. And there are 14 other triggers that have absolutely nothing to do with risk, it, but their risk, is, risk is a great way. And the, the reason is really simple, right? Flow follows focus. It's massively heightened attention. So anything that grabs and holds your attention is going to drive you into flow. Okay. Risk just happens to be a great one for that. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Huckberry is my favorite place to shop online because they have everything a guy needs or wants. Everything from clothing, stuff for your everyday carry, like pocket knives, even little totems, little things you can carry around, camping equipment, things to furnish your home with. Pretty much all the clothes I own are from Huckberry. They own a brand called Flint and Tinder. They make everything from underwear, jeans, t-shirts, hoodies. They got a wax trucker jacket. You name it, they've got it. I love it because it just it's classic, down-to-earth, rugged, and it's all made in the USA. Everyday carry, pocket knives. My favorite pocket knife is from Huckberry. It's this one 
one from a company based out of New Mexico. They have a dinosaur bone put into the handle. It's pretty cool. And the blade's really nice. So if you want to see some of the things I've gotten from Huckberry over the years, go to aom.is slash aomhuck. See some of my favorite things. And if it's your first time purchasing, use code ART15 at checkout to save 15% on your first purchase. So again, check out aom.is slash aomhuck. That's A-O-M-H-U-C-K. And if it's your first time purchasing, use code ART15 at checkout to save 15% off on your first purchase. And now back to the show. Well, here's here's another question. I mean, since we're a podcast geared primarily primarily towards guys, I mean, generally, are there do the way men and women tap into flow? Do they differ, or are they pretty much the same? So, I know you have to speak in generalities with this sort of thing, but I mean, I just I'm just curious if in your no, research. no, it's, I mean, you're asking really great questions. Um, the answer is we don't really know. There there is some information either way in terms of men and women. And there are also, you talked about, you know, is there a genetic makeup for flow? You asked that question. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of the same question. Who's wired for what? Sure. What I can tell you is there are radical different on-ramps. For example, creatives. Myself as a writer, I can ride writing right into flow. There is an altruism-based flow state known as helper's high, discovered by Alan Lukes, the, the founder of Big Brother's Big Sister. So you can ride altruism literally into a flow state. They used to, by the way, think this was only hands-on, you know, volunteer for the Peace Corps, work in a soup kitchen kind of altruism. But now they've shown that it shows up even if you do something like bid at a charity auction. That could be enough. So computer coders code their ways into flow. Flow is so prevalent in video gaming that flow theory is the number one theory for explaining kind of the lure of the joystick. So it shows up everywhere. People like to get in different ways. My wife, we, my wife and I co-run a dog sanctuary here in, in, New, Me- in New Mexico. She, one of the reasons we do it is because my wife only gets in the flow states through altruism, and that's how she gets access to it. You know, I like, you know, I like both altruism and creativity, and you know, high-risk sport. I like it, you know, hurling my body down mountains at high speeds when I can. Um, so, you know, to, to me, I, you know, it's all three, but it really, it varies very much individually. We have a flow diagnostic at the Flow Genome Project that we use kind of to help people determine what avenues uh, they're best suited for riding in the flow, but it really differs. And it probably differs by the sexes, and we just haven't looked deep enough under that hood yet. Yeah, that'd be interesting to look into there. Um, so, okay, it seems like these athletes, these extreme athletes, have sort of, they, they stumbled onto flow. I mean, they, I guess they, a lot of them didn't have like a language for it. But now with these advances we make it made in cognitive and neuroscience, um, we're fashioning tools to help people tap into flow um, or trigger flow more easily or more effectively. How is that? I mean, what, what sort of things are going on there to like help athletes? Uh, I know the, the military is interested in, the, in this as well. What are they doing to, I guess, All right, so help we gotta, soldiers? Besides the neurochemicals that we talked about, right, let's talk about um, what else happens in flow. So one of the other things that happens to the brain in flow is your brain waves. The the brain communicates two different ways, neuroelectricity, which is brain waves, and neurochemistry, which is what we talked about. The other thing you need to talk about is neuroanatomy, which is where things happen in the brain, because that matters too, because the brain is specialized location-wise. So we talked about neurochemistry. The brainwave, the baseline brainwave state for flow is on the borderline between alpha theta. So one of the things that people are doing is using very simple neurofeedback training to drive people to alpha theta. And what has happened is 
these, what's great is it used to be if you wanted EEG devices, it meant going into somebody's office, having them, you know, basically tape these wet sensors to your scalp, hundreds of them. It was a huge pain in the ass and you couldn't do it. But now they've gotten to the point that they have kind of dry, portable, Bluetooth-enabled EEG sensors that can, coming out, I believe actually they're probably out. There's a new technology called BrainSport, and it's a dry sensor that's wireless, and it looks sort of like a crown. If there was a crown in Star Trek, it's really a cool-looking device. But it's a portable, wireless brain training device that helps you train your brain waves that, you know, you can use that you use neurofeedback to drive people towards EEG. What we're doing at the Flow Genome Project is kind of taking it, we're creating what we're calling Flow Dojos, and these are dedicated flow science research and training facilities. And we're taking kind of advantage of all this stuff, all these flow triggers. So, for example, we have a device, we have a 20-foot giant looping swing. So you literally, you stand on what looks like a, a snowboard. Um, your feet are strapped and your hands are on this thing. You can be spinning upside down, 20 feet off the deck, pulling three and a half Gs on the bottom. These pull the wrist triggers from the novelty triggers from the other flow triggers that high-risk athletes get a lot of without any danger. On top of that, the entire device is aligned in LED lights, and you're wearing the brain sport technology I was just talking about. So you can literally, while you're pulling all these kind of extreme triggers without the danger, you are also simultaneously using neural feedback to guide yourself towards flow. So we're sort of rigging the game by putting as many flow triggers as we can into the experience and giving you access to this cutting edge technology. Another thing they're doing is flow, in flow, the a large portions of the prefrontal cortex turn off. I know this sounds weird. People think that, you know, flow must be the, all avenues of the brain firing all at once. Turns out, most of the prefrontal cortex, which houses your executive function, your morality, your will, your ability to do complex thinking, that's all there. It turns off in flow. Essentially, your conscious mind turns off. Your subconscious, which is much, much, much faster and more energy efficient, takes over where a lot of the performance boosts come from. Uh, and one of the other things, when we talk about that DARPA study, right, the military, one of the things they're doing is they're using transcranial Magnetic stimulation, they're basically shooting a big magnetic pulse into people's brains and it knocks out their prefrontal cortex and induces flow, a low-grade flow state. Um, and, you know, and then they're training people from that point forward. That's not, I mean, it sounds like Star Trek stuff. Uh, oh, I mean, you, you got to understand that, like, I started working on flow pretty seriously full-time in the, you know, in and around, I would say, 99. And... All this stuff was, it was fantasy land. We sort of had some ideas what a couple of the neurochemicals were. We had no idea about these changes. Transient hyperfrontality is what the deactivation of the prefrontal cortex is called. We didn't know about that. We didn't know what the right brain was. None of this stuff, all this stuff has happened literally in 15 years. And we've been looking under the hood of flow. The research dates back to 1871. Some of the very earliest experiments ever run in experimental psychology we're run looking for this optimal state of performance. So we've been, it's 150 years, and it's only in the past 10 years, really, that we've been able to look under the hood and go, oh, my God. And, it's, and you know, the Star Trek stuff from today is going to get even crazier tomorrow because all these technologies are, are on exponential growth curves. So, I mean, I can see how this stuff would be very useful for athletes, but like, what about just average people? Cause I mean, cause you make the argument in the book, the bold claim that this is going to turn us into superhumans, like tapping well, I mean, and hacking flow. I mean, but like for just Joe 
below he works at a you know desk job i mean what what's the benefit of like tapping into this technology well i mean for joe blow who works at a desk job according to mckinsey right the biggest business researchers around they did a 10-year study and found top executives in flow report being five times more productive than out of flow so that's not a five percent increase that's a 500 percent increase it means you could take spend monday at work in flow take the rest of the week off and get as much done as your steady state peers. So that's one of the things that's in the offing. You're talking about massively accelerated motivation. Think about right now um, the amount of people who sign up for gym memberships and never use them. There's whole you know enterprise models built on the fact that people buy memberships in January to health clubs and 70% of them are gone by February, right? Because the only drivers we're tapping into there are guilt and vanity, and they're lousy motivational drivers. So flow gives you access to intrinsic motivation. You can't help doing the things that produce flow. So this means it shortens the path to mastery. And it doesn't matter if it's athletics, if it's business, if it's being a creative, it, whatever your interest is, if you can learn to get into flow states, you can shorten the path to mastery. In any workplace, it's massively amplified productivity. In study after study flow also significantly enhances creativity. It does this for a lot, a lot of different reasons. The neurochemicals that show up in flow, not only do they enhance focus and tighten attention, but they amplify pattern recognition, your, your ability to link ideas together, and it also kind of expands the size of the database searched by the brain's pattern recognition system, so you have access to more far-flung ideas. This significantly jacks up creativity. We don't really have hard numbers, and we have weird studies, like an Australian team of Australian researchers recently um, gave up 40 people a really difficult brain problem, brain teaser problem. Nobody could solve the problem. Then they induced flow artificially using transcranial magnetic simulation, like we talked about before, and 23 people could solve the problem. Uh, in preliminary surveys run by the Flow Genome Project, Mario organization, most people report, and this is really preliminary, so I'm hesitant to say it out loud, but the average we're hearing is a 700% increase in creativity. People on average say they're seven times more creative inflow than out of flow. At Harvard, Teresa Mable figured out that people are not only more creative in flow, but they're more creative the day after flow, which suggests that flow not only makes you more creative in the moment, but it may make you more creative over the long haul. It may actually train the brain up on creativity, which is one of those incredibly rare, hard things. Everybody these days believes creativity is probably the most important quality in business in the 21st century. It's at the top of the 21st century skills that we want our kids to learn in school that are fundamental for surviving in the center. But we don't really know how to teach creativity very well, but we do know how to create a state that massively amplifies your creativity and teaches you how to be more creative over the long haul. I could go on and on and on. We've talked about health benefits. We've talked about learning, creativity, and uh, and motivation. And it really, this is really kind of the beginning of of, of the conversation, you have to remember that this is literally the secret to optimal performance, right? That's why it has that name and why, you know, that's why they talk about it that way. So it's anything you can think of doing better, you can do better in flow. And I think more importantly, for the last thing I'm going to say, mm -hmm. we did, when Chick Set Me High did his original research, he discovered 
literally, and this has been extremely well validated for 30 years, that the happiest people on earth are the people who have the most flow in their lives. So if you're looking, I mean, if you're looking for, you know, reason alone, life satisfaction is a pretty good one. Very interesting. Yeah, as you were talking about that, I started thinking about sort of second order effects of, you know, people tapping in and wanting to hack or, you know, hack their flow, so to speak. I mean, it seems like a lot of this technology and resources are going to be available to, I don't know how to explain this, but people who have the means to afford it, right? Is there, have they talked about that sort of like the, the socioeconomic uh, implications of hacking flow? Because I can see a lot of like parents, like wealthy parents, like getting their kids into like a flow dojo. And like, they're just these like already, you know, these kids who are already pretty bright um, become even more bright and more optimal while parents who couldn't afford that sort of thing their kids aren't doing as well or is is it is that is that a problem or is the technology going to be become so widely available that won't be a problem well let's so let's go back to the question of flow triggers first because you're talking about technological hacks and that's fine all that stuff's great right but the 15 flow triggers you've got three psychological three environmental 10 social and one creative these are you know, anybody who wants to buy a copy of Rise of Superman, which you can get the ebook for five ninety nine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you you can get a free slide share that breaks down all fifteen <laughs> of these traits. That's available to anybody, right? Yeah. So you know, first and foremost, the secrets aren't that secret, right? They're they're out. Anybody anybody can do this thing. Action adventure sport athletes. I mean, I don't know how much time you spent in ski towns or surf towns or whatever. These are not wealthy people. Right. They found a way to become the best at hacking flow because they basically built their lives around these flow triggers. Anybody can do that. That doesn't take any money. The access to the technology, will it speed the course? Yes. But all this stuff is on exponential price performance curves. So to begin with, it's not super expensive right now, but it's radically coming down in price pretty soon. We're looking at the Flow Genome Project, for example, to create an app. That, that does all of this. It's not anywhere close in the pipeline, but five years from now, seven years from now, when the research gets to the level that that's possible, this means it's going to be available for $1.99 on your phone, right? Yeah. So there is, I mean, the gap you're talking about is real. You're talking about a real phenomenon, but even just to digress for half a second, because in abundance, we you know dealt with the same issue with biomedical technology, Biomedicine as a whole, biotechnology as a whole, is advancing at five times the speed of Moore's law, right? So Moore's law says that every 18 months, the number of you know, transistors on an integrated circuit doubles for the same price. That's really fast. Biotechnology is five times faster. So what the, I hope, I hope that, yeah, there is going to be a period of time where this stuff is more available to people with money, Um but I think it is going to be very short. I sure hope it is. I mean, our goal at the Flow Genome Project is literally to try to open source flow state research. We have come very, very far, but until we have an accurate map of how the psychology lays onto the neurobiology, onto the physiology, um, what we call a heat map of flow, we're not going to know the best way for everybody to get into a flow state. So one of the things we're doing at the Flow Genome Project is we're turning this quest for ultimate human performance into a giant open source citizen science project. Anybody can come run experiments under, you know, essentially under our tent and, you know, and, and move this forward. So we're doing 
the exact opposite would be our, our the flow genome project is sort of set up specifically to you know hack this stuff for everybody and give it away for free so hopefully what you're talking about isn't a real issue very cool. Well, I, there's so much more we could talk about, but I, I know our time is short. So last question, I always like to end off with uh, just a, a, just asking the the person I'm talking to sort of like a, a quick how-to, like what people can take away from this and start implementing their lives today. So guys who are listening to this podcast, they're thinking, this is awesome. I want to learn how to learn faster. I want to experience that happiness. What can guys do today to start taking advantage of the benefits of flow? So we, we kind of broke down the flow triggers, um, and I, well, I'd rather – I mean, what I'd rather say is read Rise of Superman and figure out those flow triggers, and let me leave people with something that most people don't know, and I think it's the single most important thing I can teach people about hacking flow, the information that most people find most useful over kind of 15 years of presenting this to people. This is the one thing that seems to make the most difference. Most people think flow is a binary, like a light switch. You're either in flow or you're not. Turns out that's not the case at all. It's actually one stage in a four-stage cycle. And if you know how this cycle works, essentially, um, you, can, it, you can maximize the amount of time you spend in flow, and you can get through the really long, hard, dark periods between flow states faster. And I think it's the most important thing I can teach people. So the first stage of the flow state is known as struggle. This is a loading phase. Flow happens when everything comes together perfectly in that perfect moment where all the skills come together into that new skill. So you still have to learn the skills. You have to stiff. I'm a writer. The struggle phase means I am reading. I am researching. I'm interviewing people. I'm trying to figure out the structure of my books and my articles. If I'm an athlete, I'm learning a new skill. It's all the grind, and you just have to put it in. There's no substitute for it. You also have to know that flow, on the cusp of flow, it feels very unflowy, right? Struggle feels, is called struggle for a reason. It's not pleasant. It doesn't feel like flow. It feels like absolute exasperation. You're essentially taking your brain to the point at which it feels like it's about to explode when totally overloaded. Then you have to take your mind off the problem. The second stage of the flow cycle is known as release. So you put in all this time to learn the new skill. Then it's totally take your mind off the problem. Go for a walk. Build a paper paper airplane models, whatever you can do to take your mind completely off the subject, forget about it completely. What you're really doing is giving your brain the space to shift from conscious processing to subconscious processing to pass the problem over. And if you keep thinking about the problem, you can't let it go and it won't, it won't move. That release triggers the flow state itself. This is the important thing. On the backside of the flow state, flow is a massive release of neurochemicals. You feel like Superman, right? You're on top of the world. You're unstoppable. And then it goes away, and you feel worse than normal. There is a big crash after a flow state. The high is gone. You don't feel like Superman. All the brain's pleasure chemicals, you've kind of exhausted them. The brain needs to take time to build them up again. So this state, it's really, honestly, the most important thing is to stay calm and to kind of ignore it. I call it the hangover rule. You sort of like when you're hungover, you ignore all the negative thoughts in your brain because you know you're hungover and that tomorrow you're going to feel fine and, and you should just wait. Same thing here. And this is so critical because what's happening in this phase, this fourth phase, that's where memory learning and consolidation is taking place. And if you get freaked out and stressed out there, you block neurobiologically, you block the learning. And worst of all, if you get stressed out at this spot, you can't 
you have to move from this phase back into struggle to restart the whole cycle again and to get back into flow. And if you're gripped because you're not in flow anymore and you want to get back there and you've just had this huge high and it's all gone and you're very depressed, you are not going to be up for the serious fight into struggle. So understanding that it's a cycle, understanding where you are in the process is kind of the greatest thing I can tell anybody who's trying to hack flow. Very good. Well, Stephen, this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Our guest today was Stephen Kotler. Stephen is the author of the book, The Rise of Superman, Decoding the Signs of Ultimate Human Performance. And right now it's on pre-sale on Amazon.com. The book launches on March 4th. And if you go to uh, riseofsuperman.com forward slash rise dash rewards, you'll find a bunch of promotional bonuses that Stephen's offering to people who buy the book. Um, so if you buy one book, you get $65 worth of free bonuses which include uh, exclusive access to uh, some videos that he's produced at the Flow Genome Project, as well as access to his Flow Diagnostic Tool. And if you buy um, more than one, more than three books, there's uh, different levels. So check it out. Great stuff. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a great read. Definitely recommend it. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And until next time, stay manly. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.